0: Welcome to the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada, a podcast about ex-cadet women mentoring and building community together. I'm your host, Amanda Calhouse, a graduate of the Royal Military College of Canada, class of 1994 in electrical engineering. Okay, so good evening. Tonight I have with me Linda Newton. How are you doing, Linda?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well.
1: Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Oh, thank
0: you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too. How are you doing this evening? I'm excellent. So as we get started, I think it'd be great to just uh, get our listeners to know you a little bit before we get into to too many of the questions. So maybe tell us a little bit about um, what you're up to these days uh, and uh, and when you attended military college.
1: Okay. So um, at the moment, I think like everybody else, as I, uh, I joke, my, uh, my wings are clipped and my feathers plucked. My uh, my past three years have been a whirlwind of travel. I'm um, an independent consultant. My husband got out of the military five years ago, and so I um, started my own consulting business. And um, I've been doing a fair bit of uh, national international work, which is kind of cool. But, uh, not something yeah. I planned on doing, but I love to travel, and it worked out that way. I was doing some work for the School of Public Service, teaching the real property management course. Okay. And also doing some work with the United Nations on asset infrastructure, asset management. That um, I'm sure we'll get into in a bit more detail. So yeah, the past the past five years, really the past four years of my life have probably been the best for it. it's been pretty exciting. Um, I graduated in '84, so same class as Dorothy and Dot. But, yeah. Uh, very um, yeah, very interesting times. Um, but uh, four of us started in the frigate, and four of us made it through the frigate. The only other squadron where all four women made it through was Eight Squadron. And I don't know if you'll oh, have anybody from Eight Squadron later on. It, uh, a couple of them have had quite interesting careers. In fact, Joanne Duran is at uh, the college at the moment.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think someone did mention her to
1: me. Yeah, yeah. And Julia Walsh was also in 8th Squadron, and she's been working with the World Constabulary in the UK. So she's had a pretty interesting career path. Excellent, so it's been a yeah, long it's a, time It's you know? really interesting
0: it's a, to hear the different the different paths that people have taken from military college. yeah
1: yeah it, uh, so I can't I mean I to me it just seems like yesterday I can't believe almost what thirty we had our thirty fifth reunion last October uh, September and I missed it um, but I just don't know where the time went
0: yeah. <laughs> I can I can certainly relate. Yeah, my uh, we graduated ten years af- apart, so uh, it was my twenty fifth last year. So yeah, so
1: we've been at reunions uh, at the same time and didn't even know it. Yes, and didn't even know
0: it exactly. Yeah. Uh, and what do you what did you study when you were at arms?
1: So I did um, I did math and physics. I started in engineering and um, did you know the I don't know if it's still the same, but when we were there in second year in engineering, it was uh, ten exams in eleven days. And I, yep. I failed. <laughs> it was two. when
0: I was there. I don't know if yep. it's still the same. Well, I failed
1: two at um, Christmas, two that I thought I had aced the exam. And I don't know if electricity is still the same, but electricity used to be brutal. You used to hope that you got a really good mark first term because everybody failed second term. Oh. And I got an absolutely disastrous mark first term. And I thought, I do not want to suck. So I switched out of engineering into applied science and then I went math, phys the third and fourth okay. year uh, and I didn't get a sup I uh that's kind of another story but um I managed to squeak through electricity as I I joked that um well I don't know if it's a joke at the time it used to be if you got a 52 it meant you passed on your own steam right right
0: <laughs> it, that that was what we used to say as well <laughs> Yeah, and I got
1: a 52 so I was good so I uh, yeah I graduated math and physics um I did an honors thesis or I did a a, a a thesis in my fourth year and that kind of is what um got me into grad school later on
0: oh interesting mm-hmm. and what did you study in grad school
1: so I uh we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves but I um after I got out of the military I went back to university so I was in the engineers and I went back and did my master's in construction engineering at the University of New Brunswick okay. and um because so I was coming to the end of my master's my supervisor who was uh Quite a quite a bit older as a supervisor, asked me if I thought about doing a PhD, which I okay. hadn't. Um, and uh, and I said, Oh, okay, well, that sounds kind of interesting. Let me have a think. Because he didn't really have a you know, typically if you're going to do a doctorate, you've got a supervisor that has this whole body of research. And my supervisor yeah. didn't. You know, he was um, He'd been the chair of the department. He was the dean of engineering, and I was a mature student compared to most of the other students. Um, and I was out for a run one day, and an idea came to me, and I went to him, and I said, well, you know, I think this might be an interesting idea. What do you think? And he went, okay, well, let's see how you can work for it. Go ahead, apply. I've got funding, and I fell into a PhD, kind of like my whole career path. <laughs> I think I'd said to you, it was a, uh, some of the posts on the um, – on the, the Facebook, the Facebook page, including the one of the most recent ones. Um, yeah, sort of a, uh, I like to joke I've had an accidental career of firsts.
0: <laughs> yes. None of well, I intended. can imagine. <clears throat> so backing up a little bit, you you mentioned, you know, be, being a combat engineer. Um, were there many other women in that um, in that space when you were going through your phase training and and when you
1: graduated? No, in fact, um, we were, there were two that had gone through ahead of us, um, when they first opened up the, um, the, the professions, the occupations. Um, and then there were two women francophones ahead of me that were doing phase three. When I did phase two, they hadn't had to do English training, Um, so we all caught up on phase four, excuse me. And when, um, I was the only woman on my phase three. Um, and when we did phase four, there were three of us. One had graduated just ahead of us and we were three. So it was, uh, yeah, it, we were, um, I was one of four on my phase two. Um, I started out as one of three on my phase three and wound up as one because the other two quit. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then there were three of us that graduated with the sort of the, the classic phase four batch. And at that time, it wasn't combat engineers and construction engineers. It was just engineers. Right. And, uh, and the branch split. Um, the branch didn't split for about another 10 years but they announced the split into the different uniforms when I was doing phase four. And oh, really? and I remember okay. us all saying we were all there. I still remember the time we were all in the mess. We heard the announcement and we went, yeah, how long is it going to be before the branch splits?
0: Mm-hmm. And uh,
1: the Colonel at the time said, oh, the branch is never going to split. He went, yeah, yes it is. And and so it did. So when I, when the branch split, I went army because obviously my husband was RCR okay. Um, and we were qualified both. We were qualified combat and construction. Oh, Engineers. okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: And so the, bl- the branch split, was that sort of the at the end of unification? Is that when the branch split?
1: Um, the branch officially split, I think, in 94, 95. Oh, okay. So they started to... Um, As the graduates came out of engineer training, they started to push you into blue or green, right? And that was the late, the mid 80s, because I think the announcement came out about 85. Um, And the late 80s, you were either blue or you were green. And then by the time we got into the 90s and they started closing bases and you had delegation, the whole. um, Right. Reimagining of what the CF looked like. Yeah, that's when the branch actually split. And it became combat engineers and airfield engineers.
0: Okay. Because definitely I had, I had classmates going through that were milli air or milli land, (laughs) that part I remember, but I didn't know the distinction between combat and construction engineers.
1: So until the early nineties, we did the exact same training. Okay. And the typical career path would have been, everybody did the exact same training and then if you were army, you went to, now at the time we weren't allowed, women weren't allowed to go to units. Um, so if you're a man, your, your career path would have been either CE first posting, combat engineers, second posting, or combat engineers, first posting CE, second posting. And then you either went one or the other okay. typically. Um, right. But for women, we weren't allowed into, uh, into the regiments. I don't think until the mid 90s so I was kind of just ahead of the wave right yeah
0: so so how did what did your career path look like then uh you know being ahead of that wave yeah.
1: well I went to um so I first went to Borden which was kind of cool I had some interesting stories from there I think one of them we talked about the other day about my draftsman um yes <laughs> and I was uh, so I was the um the only woman in the engineering section in Borden And then I spent two years in Borden and went to Toronto. And then I had uh, a dream posting. My last posting, I came to Ottawa and I worked on what was called the North American Air Defense Modernization Project, which was the Hmm. reconstruction of the old dew line site.
0: Which I know of because I was a SEALY officer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: So it was was a pretty cool project. I was on it for three years. Um, Every summer we were in the Arctic nice flying around looking at uh, looking at the site monitoring how construction was going and it was it was after that project i took my release but uh it was um yeah that was a, that was a, an amazing project to be on so i did you know ce i did project management um and i was supposed to go to kingston what was then called foxhole u um mm. and i would have been the first woman in the engineers to go And the timing was just really bad, you know, and I looked at it and I thought, oh, I don't know, this isn't going to be great. You don't, um, if I don't go as a captain, um, I just, I started to look at it, not from a gender perspective, but what would it be like if I was just anybody in the engineers and you turn down a career course Mm -hmm. and you don't go and what implications does that have for future promotions And my husband and I had always struggled for whatever reason to get postings together. Right. We, um, every single posting we had was a compromise for one career or the other. Right. And, uh, which
0: which is a, which is a common theme I hear from married service couples in the late eighties, early nineties.
1: Yeah. So he, he was supposed to go back to the battalion and he chose to go to Ottawa so it's okay. an infantry officer, it's battalion, extra-regimental duty battalion. Well, he went battalion, extra regimental, extra regimental, like kiss of death. Right. Um and so we just thought, well, if you ever want to get back to a battalion, it's just never gonna happen. Mm. You know, he was going back to battalion engaged town. Um so that's sort of what I chose to take my release. I had, you know, we had two young kids. Um, things were heating up in the Balkans. And I thought, hmm, you know, what are the odds, both of us being army, right, being posted overseas,
0: like deployed, deployed
1: overseas, yeah, deployed overseas. Yeah. And as it turns out, it was, um, it was just, it's really odd. It's like the sixth sense I had, Yeah. because uh, people kept saying, why are you getting out? You know, What are you doing? Are you getting out? Did you have any issues? I went, no, no. I said, there's just two young kids. We were having trouble with our son. And I just thought, yeah. What if? What if we both get deployed? Who looks after yeah. our kids? And I know after that, I had friends that that happened to. Yeah. yeah. Both deployed yeah, at the same I've time. I've certainly heard of that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So so really, um, yours was a conscious decision to leave yes, <laughs> the yeah. military. Yeah. But um, so what? Uh, so then, what did you do?
1: So I um, we well, we went down to Gagetown. And um, literally within a month of getting there, my husband was deployed to Bosnia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you go from, um, so talk about, you know, completely unexpected paths, right? You go from thinking you're going to have a great career in the military to being a single parent because your husband's deployed. Um, You've got two young kids at home. So um, So I was at home for a year. He was gone most of the time and I'd already applied to go back to university. So I had this idea that I would go back. You just, you can't be in the engineering field and then not stay engaged in some way or another. Mm -hmm. So that's when I applied to go back and do my master's and that um, we spent 10 years in Gage Town and eight of those 10 years I was in school.
0: Oh my goodness. Loving it.
1: You know, I went to school, I had them, I had a great supervisor who uh, uh, I don't think he'd ever quite encountered anybody like me because I was just very direct and didn't put up with any crap and um, said to him, not going to be studying in the summers. If you want me to do work, forget it, ain't going to happen. Got two kids at home. You, know? <laughs>
0: um, you You did it on your terms. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> my research was all my terms. Um, my, uh, my PhD research, uh, used a lot of my military connections which was which was kind of neat because there was a military slant to what I was doing. My research okay. sample was military bases and I pulled in all my CE contacts. So okay. it was um, I enjoyed it. i was kind of one of these rare people that like doing grad school.
0: <laughs> well that it sounds very interesting, right? And I think it sounds like, you know, when you do something that interests you, then it it certainly makes it feel easier, right? Yeah. So what um, what path did you take after ten years in in Gage Where where did you end up next?
1: We um, so we wound up back in the UK, and my uh, oh. my husband. Oh had right, a, I'd uh,
0: forgotten that was yeah. that's where you're originally from, right?
1: Um, I was born here, but I grew up over there. Yeah. So my um, oh okay, my husband had a posting to Loughborough. He went and did his masters in ergonomics. And uh, so we headed off to Loughborough with the two kids and then came back from there to Ottawa. And we've pretty well been in Ottawa ever since. So I finished off my PhD when I was in the UK um, mm-hmm. and then came back and did a postdoc at the National Research Council, oh, okay. in the, uh, the Institute for Research and Construction, which um, it, uh, I was working in an area called uh, Municipal Infrastructure Management. And, you know, it's funny how things come full circle because I looked at what was leading edge as far as research went, and I thought, this is what we did in the engineers 10 years ago. We just didn't oh. call it that. Interesting. So, the whole idea of um, maintenance management and monitoring and condition assessment and using this to assess what you do and how you determine, you know, what you replace in subsequent years and we just never called it that. It, uh, that was CE, right? Right. And it just, so the experiences that I had for those eight years, my training plus my eight years as a CE officer, um, have really been the foundation of everything I've done since. So that's remarkable.
0: That's really interesting, right? I think um, one of the things that, that you and I talked about um, before, before we were recording was about, you know, some of those things and, and how condensed the training can be in the military and, and how long lasting the effects are. So was mm. that, were there other examples of
1: that? Oh, absolutely. It. um, just being able to come up with um, you know just clear, concise plans, and mm-hmm. anybody that's uh, in the army. Um, were you you were Air Sealy, or were you sick I was you were Air Sealy Air. Yeah. 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 Uh, the combat estimate, right? So what? Yeah. Um, are my two favorite words, and I said, you know, the most important things I've ever learned in my career was grade nine typing. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. And asking people, so what? And they go, what means so what? I said, well so what? You know, like you've got some great ideas, so what? Well, yeah, you know, I've been using it a lot with this COVID analysis, and I said, um, you know, kids are going back to school, so what? They're going to get the sniffles, so what? Oh, well, we're telling them they can't go to school, if they have the sniffles, so what? We'll need more testing, so what? We haven't got the capacity, so what? So it's just, it's a, the whole idea of the combat estimate is when you exhaust all your so what's. Right. You arrive at that point where you can come up with a solution, and um, and so those fundamentals of army training it permeates so many things that I've done. I've used it with grad students you were know, doing mm-hmm. their research. Like rather than rather than them talking about the relevance of the research and why it's so important, I'll just go, yeah. So what? And they go, oh, <laughs> what do you mean, so what? Because well, like, why should I care? Yeah. So sort of, um, taking that formality out of it and really getting them to think about the, um, the implications. The
0: implications.
1: So that, that is certainly one thing that uh, has held me in good stead in everything I've done. And just the ability to plan and think and sort of assess risk and look at things in terms of uh, battle procedure. It's not, it's not when do you need to start? It's when do you need to be finished? right. And then back
0: from that, yeah, come
1: back from that.
0: So once you, once you finished your PhD and we're, we're back in Ottawa, what sort of, what sort of employment opportunities did you have? And was it tough to transition?
1: Um, not really. I just kind of, I, again, I didn't have a plan. I thought, <laughs> well, let's see what comes about. So I, uh, I did the, um, I did a postdoc at the national research council with my, um, with the, the fellow that had been my external examiner for my PhD. okay, And um, through that, I'd started to make some contacts again at National Defense. And I was starting to think about where I wanted to go. Did I want to stay at the Research Council? Um, I'd started teaching at Carleton because I went to Carleton University and I said, you need a course in infrastructure management and this is why. Oh. And, uh, and I managed to convince the chair of the department that it would be a really good idea because they'd be the only university teaching it. In the country mm. so i started teaching at carlton and then a job came open at defense construction and i thought oh that sounds kind of interesting i'd always thought defense construction was in the contract management realm which okay. is what they had been but they'd started to branch out more into project management and real property management so i applied again i just thought okay well i'll go you know see what happens who knows Mm-hmm. and uh, the fellow that interviewed me was ex-military, mm-hmm. another fellow engineer. As it turned out, all the people that were in senior positions at defense construction, I had known through my time on the Natum project 15 years earlier. Oh, wow. So again, all you know, these this, this yeah. serendipity <laughs> things coming full circle. Um, I, Hans Gartner was the man I worked for, and I'd never met Hans through the engineers but when he started asking questions about me within DCC, everybody knew who I was right. from when I had been in uniform. So I wound up, I started out at defense construction working as a project manager, um, helping steer the capital program for national defense. And, okay. uh, but I started to get asked to do more and more real property stuff. Because, again, everybody went, oh, Linda's at Defense Construction. She knows CE. Linda, Mm. what about this? What about that? What about this? Could you help us with this? And um, at the same time, a gentleman called Steve Irwin, he was Brigadier General Irwin. He'd been the commandant of the engineer school. He came on as a senior vice president at Defense Construction And defense construction had started to reorganize along service lines. So there was contract management, there was construction, contract services, project management, and they had this other area called infrastructure support services. Mm. And um, I went to Steve one day and I said, I know what that is. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's (laughs) this, right? It's CE. It's real property. And then he goes, you think? I went, yep. Do you think there's a business in it? Yep. Okay, go make it happen. Come, oh wow! Come up with your plan. Yeah. Go make it happen. And so I got cut away from the project management group, I started to build my real property team. And when I left, we had about forty people, I guess. Okay. So we, yeah, uh, you know, we started to fill that gap. That um, it wasn't so much a consulting service, but just uh, the ability to understand what defense did in the real property realm okay whether it was the um whether it was the master realty development plans or you know how did you how to take condition assessment information and project you know what might need to be done anyway, it was really cool That's I just awesome. had a great time. I developed the service line across the country, which was kind of neat. I don't know what state it's in now, but um so to to start something you mm-hmm. know from scratch and grow it, it was a lot of fun
0: and how long how long did you stay at uh at DCC?
1: So I was, I was there until 2015. But in 2011, okay. my husband got a three year posting to London, England. Oh, so I, I um, gave up my group and the service line. And um, they let me work part time from London. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And then I came back and I stayed working part time because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Okay, and I do. I knew Keith, my husband was going to retire. And, uh, and I didn't know when, so I thought, well, I'll just keep working part time. And I joked that uh, I quite enjoyed like not having that stress of looking after people. And I, uh, it made me realize that I liked to, um, create things, but I didn't necessarily enjoy all of the, the HR and the, the business management that went along with it. Okay. I, I just love to create stuff. Right. Um, and every once you got to that steady state, yeah, you know, in the military, I, I think I, I joke that you get um, acquired attention deficit, <laughs> right? Because after three years, because you, you to get move to on. move every two to three years, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. So, um, so I came back, and I, um, um, I could never remember. This was my signal that it was time to go. I could never remember to take my lunch. Oh, okay. Every time 11 o'clock rolled around, I was wondering why I couldn't go to my kitchen and make my coffee. (laughs) And I just thought, "Eh, you know what, this is a a big clue here. So that's when I I quit and I uh, started my own consulting business. And again, I had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't go, you know, I had no particular work lined up. Oh, wow. I just um, made sure I had a good LinkedIn profile and thought, well, let's see what happens that's amazing through
0: yeah. all of you know all of those different stages um did you find was there much mentorship that you were receiving and and if you were was it mostly from men or were there any women that were sort of yeah going before no you? there were no
1: women it was all three men I think so yeah no and it um, and uh there were two that stand out in my mind there was um there was a, um, well, my my supervisor at UNB was amazing. Um, and then there was another prophet, UNB, that uh, he was ex-military, but he'd only done, I think, three years in the engineers of the 60s. His name was Mike Gersha. And he was a really interesting guy. I looked, uh, I, I took a lot from him. And then Steve Irwin, when I got to defense construction. But a lot of it was just um, figure out what's happening and just plod along, Mm. and I had to, but I was very lucky, because I, two years ago, was it two, I think it was two years ago, there were uh, several of us, I'm a member of the Canadian Society for Civil Engineering, a fellow of the society, and two years ago, they decided to create an edition of Women in Construction, Okay. and so five of us were asked to write an article, and interestingly, all of our articles had a very different spin, Mm. But there was a common theme in that three of us, um, even the ones that had, had a few challenges, had never encountered anything significant. And when you started to look at um, you know, what, what we thought was made us successful in what we did, there was a common theme about acceptance, uh, male role models. Mm -hmm. Because none of us had any female role models, right? And working with people that were able to learn as well from our experiences. Hmm. So, no, I um. I mean, I was was, I'm an only child, so my father always said to me, "You're going to go to university." Well, nobody where I grew up in England went to university. If you said you were going to university, they just thought you were, you know, being posh oh okay oh it's there she goes putting on airs again <laughs> you know you worked in the mines you worked in the pottery factories and that's what you did right um and then as i went through uh as i went through my work career whenever i would encounter um situations that you know, somebody could say were discrimination i just i would look at it and think um where are they coming from? And so I, I gave you my story of my draftsman that used to call me dear all the time. Yeah, please. Did he mention that when we talked? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And he always used to call me dear. And one day he was in my office and I said, that's great, Vern. Thanks, honey bunch. We'll talk tomorrow. And he stopped and he looked at me and he says, what did you call me? I said, I called you honey bunch. He kind of looked quizzically, Vern. "Burn." If you can call me dear, I can call you honey bunch, (laughs) and he never called me dear again. And so, why is that a lesson? It's because he was somebody that could look at that situation and adapt, right? Right. He wasn't someone that said, "Oh, you know, there's that stupid woman," or "There's that lieutenant; she's only in a position because she's a woman." He looked at it and went, "Hmm, maybe she's got a point." Right. Now he, I had other, I had another man. It was an absolute nightmare to have working for me um, but he was a nightmare to everybody not just me because I was a woman mm, right uh, and so Vern could have been an absolute pill and he wasn't like right. he was able to look at it from that perspective of times are changing you know she's got a point right I had um, I had good mentors you know that were able to look at that that were able to adapt so I think I've, I've been really lucky in my career that way Right. That, uh, you know, it's it's men's willingness to change when they realize they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, having mentors that saw me as a person didn't see me as a woman. Right. And I think those are really, um, those are two really important things. And that seemed to be a common theme with the five of us that were, you know, wrote these articles. Is that what was it? That why were we slightly different? Or why did we feel we'd... I wouldn't say we'd had an easier go, but that's not quite the right expression because a couple of them really did have a difficult time. But um
0: How did they but but it but that you were able to persevere. That's
1: right, but there was that common, like said, sort of that common theme to it. Right. Yeah.
0: So what sort of advice would you give um to other women, you know, going through uh their careers?
1: For me, it's always been just be yourself, you know. Uh just, just get on, and again, I, I've been fortunate because I've been in situations where I've been able to do that. But just get on and do your job. I, I certainly look through things differently than other people do, I think. But I guess the other advice is pick the hill you want to die on. Right. <laughs> no, it's uh, my. Uh, I have a. I have two kids. I've got a son that's. Uh, At Calgary, the daughter that's in Edmonton. And that's always been my advice to her, you know, if you're really going to, if you're really going to dig your heels in on this, then make sure it's what you really want to dig your heels in on. Because you have to pick your battles. And we shouldn't have to pick battles, but you do.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I I think that's, that's advice that applies across genders.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And so pick, you know, pick, pick those, um, Pick what's really, really important to you, you know. And I, you might say, well, Vern calling me dear. And I thought, no, you know, I, I, I I've, I've put up with this for you know three or four months.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's
1: just see what it does. And it wasn't intended to be condescending, but I just thought, let's see where we go with this. Right. Um, I never had anybody else call me dear. Whether the word spread through the section, I don't know. <laughs> right. He <laughs> was the only one that did. <laughs> um, and I haven't. I haven't actually found too many hills I've had to die on. Uh, whether that's my personality, whether it's, I just think, oh, you know what? I just don't care. I'm going to carry on. Right. And there are other people that have done that. And which is good because I think it needs to be done. Yeah. Um, it no, just wasn't it, your hill. <laughs> yeah. It just wasn't my hill. Yeah. But, um, but certainly you know, don't be, don't be afraid to do what you want to do and to take a risk and take a chance. I, um, I've i done a presentation with uh, with high school students, and I first did it with my daughter's class of, you know, what do you think your career is going to be?
0: Oh, yes. And I laughed
1: because it was a post about what uh, – I think it was um, Diane Farish. Oh, I
0: yes, I saw yeah. something and on the I've Facebook I've done a site. similar
1: presentation where I've got kids to stand up and say, you know, what do you think – who's doing um, – who wants – to do whatever. Who knows what they want to do? And they all stand up, right? And they go, "Okay, who's changed their mind in the past six months?" Right? And a few sit down. Who's changed their mind in the past year? You know, some sit down and go, "Who changed their mind in the past week?" <laughs> and then there's usually one person left standing. And I'll go, "You're me. Right? I changed my mind in a day, but um, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I, you know, my military career was an accidental career. So." Some people plan, I've never planned and I just it's worked out right So don't be afraid of not having plans.
0: yeah that 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 makes sense as well. actually you you touched on something that I, I did want to talk about and that was how how did you end up in the military in the first place You said it was an accidental career
1: <laughs> yeah, Well it was it's a little bit like um, like Sandy Hawes yeah you what know, she said she um, you know, she was uh, she was getting too cold and so she went into the recruiting center. yes. Well, I was supposed to be studying for an algebra exam, and I liked algebra, and I was good at algebra, okay. and I was bored. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had um, I had a good friend whose brother was in the ROTP program, so he wasn't at military college. And I thought, oh, I'll go check that out. Like they'll they'll pay for you to go to university, right? right? And they'll give you money while you're there, and you'll have a job when you graduate. You know, I mean, I was when saving, win, I was, right? <laughs> I was working two jobs to save to go to university because my parents couldn't afford to pay for me to go. And, um, so I went down to the recruiting center On um, this afternoon. I was supposed to be studying for my algebra exam. And, uh, I said, I've heard about this program. Yes. And they talked to me and I signed some forms and I remember coming home and saying to my mother, and they set up appointments to come back and do the test, you know, the, right. the, Whatever tested the aptitude test. And I came back and said to my mother, Oh, I think I might have applied to join the army today. <laughs> and she just went, You did what? <laughs> and I told her a little bit about it. So I went, I did the aptitude tests. I did fine with those. I went and had my interview, and they said, Um, you know, you had to put down what you wanted to study, and I want to study genetic engineering at Guelph. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we don't need genetic engineers in the military. <laughs> <laughs> I went, well, okay, whatever. I, um, and then uh, I'd had my first interview. I had my second interview. And the third time I went back, they said, you didn't put RMC down on here. And I went, yeah, no, it's not open to women. I want to go to civilian university with my friends. Yeah. Oh, but you can go. I went, oh? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> What does that mean? (laughs) And and so I you know I applied not even knowing that RMC was open to women. Wow. Uh, And it was a case of I I I got the sense that if I didn't say I wanted to go, then (laughs) they wouldn't pay for me to go to university. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I thought, how bad could it be? Like I still get money. (laughs) How bad could it be? (laughs) (laughs) sure, whatever. Let's go. But um, and so that's how I wound up in the military. That's uh, wow. You know, it just um, yeah, just it should have been studying. And so it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting thing to use when I talk to kids to say, that my entire life was determined in an afternoon when I should have been studying for an exam. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and and you you really never do know what the future holds and what nope. direction you're going to. take. Now, my
1: daughter, who's um, she's now doing, um, she's she's just doing her doctorate in physical anthropology, but she did her undergrad in archaeology. She wanted to be an archaeologist since she was about eight. Oh wow! Yeah, but. So she's one of those that had this idea of what she, she wanted to do
0: and knew what she wanted and has, yeah. and has so stayed on the Yeah, so she refined it
1: slightly, you know, yeah. it's not Indiana Jones, but she's yeah. refined it to looking at bones and, and sort of osteoarchaeology. But yeah.
0: Is it it's Dr. Bones, right? Temporous friendly? Yeah. Front
1: yeah. End. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so a, it never, you know, coming back to your question, so like never, never be afraid if, if your career doesn't go the way you want it to go. And I think there've been some really lovely posts about that, encouraging yeah. posts on the network, <clears throat> because it's as long as you're happy with who you are and mm-hmm. comfortable with who you are, that's, what's the most important thing. You know, and life, life will work out.
0: Absolutely. And how in talking about, you know, life will work out. What, what has been one of the highlights for you, um, in, in your career thus far?
1: Um, Early on would have been the NADAM project, right? Yeah, when I worked on the, the Dooline project, and then um, highlights would have been most recently. I loved what I was doing at Defense Construction, but um, the work I was doing before COVID was just so exciting because it just pulled everything together. I um, I loved teaching at the university. I got new students all the time, which was exciting, uh, and then I. Um, uh, LinkedIn, I can't uh, anybody that um, is thinking of the independent consulting world mm-hmm. uh, make sure you've got a, link, a good LinkedIn profile all of my work has come from my LinkedIn profile wow so I got a cold call to ask if I'd be interested in uh, bidding on a contract to teach the real property management school- course for the school of public service anyway, oh, okay yes <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what huh. I do um, and we won the contract, didn't think we would. And so I was teaching it right across the country. Oh, so wow. I've been from, from the Maritimes to Vancouver, Toronto, all across the prairies, which was good because it, it's, uh, I, I love teaching to people that know nothing about what I do. Right? Mm. The, the whole idea of how can you take something and make it very simple and get people to understand the importance of it and right. why the role is so important so that was really exciting because every course i met with somebody different mm-hmm. they all had different backgrounds different perspectives uh and that's that's now stopped because of covid but the other work that came my way um was the united nations and i was i was on a holiday in brazil um my husband and I have been very involved in the um, in the Rotary International Youth Exchange program. In fact, our daughter was a youth exchange student to Russia. Okay. And so we've hosted, you know, half a dozen students ever since. And we were in Brazil for the graduation of one of our students. Oh, she wow. graduated from medical school. And while we were there, I got this email from the UN and uh, this this fellow at the Department of Economic and Social Affairs and said uh, I have this project that I'm working on. It's Infrastructure Asset Management, and your name keeps coming up. Are you interested? Wow. I went, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so we started talking, and what uh, what he wanted me to do was, first of all, come up with a really simple tool that could be used to assess what level or where developing countries were and how they – Manage their infrastructure assets. Okay. Which again was really exciting because you had to simplify the terminology. Right. You had to understand the culture. And I love to travel. So my husband and I have done a lot of travel off the beaten path. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to me to try and understand other cultures and what does it mean for them. Right. I mean, uh, English, we may seem like it's a lingua franca, but we're divided by a common language. And having lived in the UK. Yes. Even and, and having our neighbors to the south of us, you know, you can have a simple word like running shoes and it's sneakers, runners, or trainers. Yeah. So that was really exciting for me how do I create something that could be understood in any English medium? And then from that, I had to develop a training. And so I went to four countries. He'd asked me to develop workshops. Or, okay. I'm backing up a bit. So we had to then go and administer this training diagnostic tool and write reports on where they were at and what they thought we thought they could do really simple things that they could do right you know so if you don't have gps what can you do well you could put up a map and put little pins in the map you know to to indicate where you've got stuff and then following that was training and our four countries were tanzania uganda bangladesh and nepal so four very different cultures yeah again talk about luck but I've um, I've been very involved with another group in Uganda on a volunteer basis. So I knew Uganda so well. Oh, wow. And this was one of our countries. Wow. So
0: that's serendipity uh, again.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, this whole you know, this whole circle of stuff. Um, so that's what I've been doing the past three years. And it's been really exciting. And then COVID hit. So we wrote a handbook. I was involved in writing that and now we're looking at online training Mm -hmm. taking what we've done into Latin America again back to Africa and in other parts of Southeast Asia so it's just and it, it goes back to those fundamentals that I learned in CE right you know and my phase four and my my first two postings that um like to me, it's just so cool to me. It is, I, yeah. I, I get excited about this. So, for me, it's been a real highlight to go and, uh, and um, you know, to be very, they laugh at my energy <laughs> because they, <laughs> they, what do you take in the morning? <laughs> I just, um, and then this kind of funny stories that will come along with I'll always bring my family into it or I'll bring my mother into it or, you know, so to try and connect with them. Right in a way that you're not this person standing up there with this, you know, this mask in front of you or this, this persona. persona. And how do you, yeah. How do you connect with them? How do you relate with them? Um, I've had them do the okie koki to try and get them
0: alive. Oh my. Alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, you look like you're sleeping, wake up. <laughs> um, it's, uh, so that to me, I sort of in, in three stages of my career, I've sort of had a highlight in each phase
0: well, that's fantastic.
1: That's, yeah, so I'm I'm desperately hoping to get on a plane again. So that's been the hardest part of all. Of the this, hardest is not part to be able of traveling this connect. year. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's it's forcing us all to to do things differently, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. But uh, as I joked, I just I think we're all zooming through life at the moment. It,
0: it certainly does feel like that a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, it's uh, it, it's been really great talking to you tonight Linda and uh, I know you've already joined our our Facebook group for the ex cadet women so appreciate you uh, you staying involved in that um, and uh, would just encourage um, anyone that has questions to to reach out directly to you through that right is yeah that, that ab- uh, absolutely for you
1: it um, you know just don't uh never never get discouraged by what you're doing um you know, some people will be in their career 30 35 years and others i joke that you know, we haven't grown up yet and we're not quite sure what we're going to do when we do grow up but it's <laughs> awful fun getting there yes in the meantime and it it's um it's what works for you as long as you're happy at what you're doing so i think the um there's a lot we can take from our military experience and i think if uh, you sit back and you, you start to look at the things you learned, you know, just the, the fundamentals of leadership and, and understanding the differences, it, um, it's amazing how far it can take you.
0: I, I can' couldn't agree more and I think one of the reasons I wanted to, to start this whole thing and, and encourage others to you know, sort of hear hear that and understand that about about those of us that have traveled through those those arches. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a a good place to be from.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. And uh,
1: it's been great talking to you. Yeah. I can't wait to hear some of the other podcasts. They're quite interesting.
0: Awesome. Thank you for joining us today on the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, Please reach out to us at wmncanada at gmail.com or on Instagram. Special thanks to our podcast editor, Ethan Kuenka.